In today's brief, we'll talk about Odessa, Crimea, and is Russia running out of friends and artillery? I'm Linnea, and today is Monday, July 24th, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported more significant losses for the Russian Federation Armed Forces, including 680 personnel on the 21st and 640 personnel on the 22nd, as well as 15 armored vehicles, 18 artillery systems, 11 unmanned aerial vehicles, those are drones, 11 tanks and other equipment over those two days. Ukrainian forces advanced from 350 to 1,400 meters in the Berdyansk direction, and according to Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Malyar, Ukrainian troops have now liberated up to 192.1 square kilometers in the south during the counteroffensive. At least two large Russian convoys, quote, consisting of 30 units each, end quote, with military vehicles and personnel, have been observed moving through Mariupol, Donetsk Oblast, towards Berdyansk in Zaporizhia Oblast, according to Petro Andriushenko, advisor to the legitimate mayor of Mariupol. Director of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, William Burns, said in an interview with Bloomberg that Ukraine will be able to succeed in its offensive operations against Russia, noting that Russian defenses are undermined by low morale, poor command, and political and military leadership in disarray. In the same interview, Burns said that Putin could still take revenge on private military company or PMZ Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, but that's a topic for another time. Antony Blinken, United States Secretary of State, warned about making premature conclusions about the Ukrainian counteroffensive, saying at the Aspen Security Forum in Colorado, quote, And as they deploy, and as they actually put into this effort all of the forces that have been trained in recent months, the equipment that we and some 50 countries have provided them, I think that will make a profound difference. End quote. The Ukrainian armed forces have the means to drive the Russian Black Sea Fleet out of the Crimean zone, according to Ukraine's Deputy Defense Minister Volodymyr Gavrilov, who added that the military initiative along the entire front line now belongs to Ukraine, saying, quote, It is important that we advance every day, sometimes by a hundred meters, sometimes by a kilometer. Every day we snatch back our territory, we gnaw away the first and second lines of defense. End quote. Alexei Reznikov, Minister of Defense of Ukraine, told CNN in an interview that he believes Ukraine will win the war and can be admitted into NATO by July 2024. Moving on to the home front, Russian forces once again struck an agricultural facility in Odessa Oblast, hitting grain warehouses and machine storage with caliber cruise missiles overnight between July 20th and 21st. Operational Command South spokesperson Natalia Hominyuk reported that the missiles used a terrain feature allowing them to fly at a very low altitude, making them very difficult to detect, so there was very little warning. 
Local officials reported on July 21st that in the previous 24 hours, Russian attacks had killed seven people and injured nine in Donetsk, Kharkiv, Odessa, Zaporizhia, Cherniv, Dnipropetrovsk, Kherson, Luhansk, Mykolaiv, and Sumy oblasts. At least four civilians were killed in a Russian attack on New York. In Ukraine, it's, it's in Donetsk Oblast. On July 21st, and a cultural center in Cherniv Oblast was hit by a missile strike, killing an employee. Russian forces attacked the southeast with five Shahed 136-131 kamikaze drones on the 22nd, all of which were reportedly intercepted by Ukrainian air defenses. Russian sabotage units also made unsuccessful attempts to cross the Ukrainian border into Sumy and Cherniv Oblasts. One of the communities in the Krasnopilia area in Sumy Oblast was targeted by artillery fire, with 14 separate explosions reported on July 22nd. One person was killed and four were injured, further indication that simply removing Russian forces from the territory of Ukraine will be unlikely to stop the attacks on Ukrainian civilians. Overnight from July 23rd to 24th, Odessa was targeted again, this time with 19 missiles injuring at least two dozen people. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky stated in his evening address on Monday that almost 50 buildings were damaged, including 25 buildings of architectural significance. Remember, the historic center of Odessa is designated as a World Heritage Site by UNESCO and the Greek consulate. Archbishop Viktor of Artsis, vicar of the Diocese of Odessa, wrote a letter to Russian Patriarch Kirill, saying, quote, Today when I arrived at the Transfiguration Cathedral in Odessa at the end of the curfew, and I saw that a Russian missile, blessed by you, had directly struck the altar of the church in the Holy of Holies, I realized that the Ukrainian Orthodox Church has long had nothing in common with your understanding. We do not dare to call you Great Lord and Father, because you are a father who has sacrificed his children to destruction and murder. End quote. Russian forces shelled the village of Pishchane in Kharkiv Oblast on the 24th, injuring four people, including a 12-year-old boy. According to the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, the Russian military is targeting Ukrainian ports in order to escalate tensions around the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Quote, adding to the sense of urgency that the Kremlin hopes to create, end quote, to win concessions from the West. Ukrainian cabinet ministers will nationalize the bank belonging to Ukrainian-born Russian oligarch Mikhail Friedman, according to a July 21st announcement by the finance ministry, noting that the withdrawal of Sense Bank from the market would be to, quote, ensure the stability of the financial system of Ukraine, and protect the interests of depositors and other creditors of the bank, end quote. On November 11, 2022, the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, signed a contract with a little-known company called Lviv Arsenal for 1.4 billion hryvnias, that's about 36.8 million U.S. dollars, for a large batch of 120mm and 82mm mortar rounds. Shortly after, Minister of Defense Alexei Reznikov authorized an advance payment under the contract of almost the entire amount. Deliveries were supposed to start in December 2022 and be completed by the end of February 2023, but as of the time of recording, here in late July, not a single munition has been received. There is good news, however. 
The MOD has seized funds from Arsenal's accounts and will likely be able to recover most of the money. Let's move on to the temporarily occupied territories. Ukrainian state-run nuclear energy company Energoatom reported on Telegram that the Russian-appointed so-called General Director of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, Yuri Chernichuk, has been pressuring Ukrainian plant workers who had previously refused to sign contracts with Russia's state nuclear operator Rosatom. See, over the past week, about 30 licensed personnel of the ZNPP left Enerjolar for Ukrainian-controlled territory, and the replacement staff brought in from Russia lack the expertise necessary to work in the plant. You remember how Russia thought it was a good idea to dig trenches in the red forest around Chernobyl and store unstable Soviet munitions around nuclear infrastructure? Yeah, I definitely don't feel super confident in their ability to manage the ZNPP. Still more explosions were reported in Crimea. Following a series of probing attacks on the peninsula, Ukrainian forces seem to have found a weakness in the Russian airspace. The attacks on the bridges and the Black Sea fleet is forcing Russian forces to concentrate air defense in the northern part of Crimea to protect the bridges and in the southern part to protect the fleet. A Russian oil depot and airfield were destroyed in Oktyabrsk, deep into Russian airspace, on July 22nd, resulting in huge fires and numerous secondary explosions, according to local reports. Russian occupation authorities made the decision to evacuate everyone in a 5-kilometer radius and the railway, a critical ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, was shut down. The Kerch Bridge was also closed in an abundance of caution, or panic, meaning that all main supply lines through the peninsula were out of service. Some assessment here. There are reports that following these strikes... Russian artillery fell silent across the front, either because they were conserving ammunition in case of a breakthrough or had run out of ammunition entirely. This indicates that the unrelenting Ukrainian strikes on ammunition depots immediately behind the front lines have resulted in a lack of stockpiled ammunition at the front, and any disruption of the G-locks at a critical time, such as a sudden concentrated push by Ukrainian forces, could have a devastating effect for Russia. On a video call with the Aspen Security Forum, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky asserted that the Crimean Bridge is a legitimate military target due to its function as a critical Russian G-lock that should be neutralized. Zelensky also acknowledged that Ukraine's counteroffensive is progressing more slowly than anticipated, but that Ukraine continues to move forward despite the difficulties, saying, quote, we did not want to lose our people, our personnel, and our servicemen didn't want to lose equipment, and so were quite cautious about their offensive actions. End quote. He added that things are getting to the point where the pace will pick up, especially as crucial areas are demined. Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Digital Transformation Mikhailo Fedorov announced that President Zelensky has big ideas for Crimea that would effectively transform the area into a new Silicon Valley, with, quote, a super-tech university, companies that work there all year round, etc., end quote, noting that tech clusters will naturally appear as security issues are solved, infrastructure is developed, and the right policies are put in place. 
If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. Speaking of security issues, let's talk about the Russian Federation. And also Belarus, I guess. U.S. Defense Department Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh said in a press conference on the 20th that PMC Wagner mercenaries in Belarus are being, quote, reintegrated, end quote, into the Russian military. PMC Wagner Group is likely going to release the last of its recruited convicts from mandatory service and offer them contracts, according to the U.K. Defense Ministry. They said that the Russian MOD has taken over the process for recruiting prisoners and plans to offset any loss of Wagner fighters by enlisting their own convicts and Chechens. As of July 22nd, the State Border Guard Service of Ukraine estimates that approximately 5,000 PMC Wagner mercenaries are in Belarus. Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin met with his bestie, self-declared president of Belarus Alexander Lukashenko in St. Petersburg over the weekend, according to the ISW who suggested that Putin, quote, sought to project power and confidence in his own supremacy, end quote, over a faction within St. Petersburg aligned with Wagner leader Prigozhin. ISW also noted that Putin made an uncharacteristic effort to take photographs with locals. He usually prefers to keep a significant distance, likely trying to position himself as more popular and well-liked among the Russian people than he actually is. Russian schoolchildren will be, quote, offered coursework studying, quote, the types, purpose, tactical and technical characteristics and structure, conducting reconnaissance of an area, and ways to counter UAVs, end quote, according to the Russian MOD. So basically, learning how to operate drones is now a part of the curriculum. Because child soldiers are always a good idea. UK Defense Intelligence suggests that former FSB agent and convicted war criminal Igor Strelkov-Girkin's arrest by Russian authorities is likely to anger his supporters within the Russian military and millblogger communities who view him as an astute military analyst and patriot who was not afraid to criticize Putin. Unsurprisingly, it seems the regime's solution to that problem is more arrests. Pavel Gubaryev, a Girkin ally and former so-called People's Governor of Donetsk Oblast, was detained near the building where Girkin is being held while giving comment to the media on Girkin's arrest. Subtle, Russia. Really subtle. The arrests point to shifting power dynamics among Kremlin factions and probable divides within Russia's security services, according to the ISW. See, Girkin was charged for his vocal criticism of Russia's military leadership during the large-scale invasion so far, but his ability to avoid consequences over the past year and a half indicates Girkin could have had backing from anonymous Kremlin sources, potentially in the FSB intelligence service. Remember, he's a former FSB officer himself. The arrest documents suggest, however, that FSB officials initiated the charges demonstrating a possible rift in the agency. 
Photos emerged on social media of warehouses on fire in the Rostov region of Russia. No further information was available at the time of recording. Two drones reportedly hit central Moscow early on July 24th, with fragments of the UAVs later found roughly two kilometers from the Russian MOD's main building. Russia claims the drones were neutralized by electronic warfare, but regardless, two office buildings were struck by the drones. An anonymous Ukrainian defense intelligence official told CNN that Kyiv is responsible for the attacks, but as of the time of recording, there hasn't been any confirmation of that. The Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs has threatened, quote, tough retaliation measures, end quote, and honestly, that's just what we've come to expect at this point. In European news, Ukraine's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Dmitry Kuleba, urged the European Union to expand all available pathways for the export of Ukrainian grain following Russia's withdrawal from the grain initiative. During a meeting of the EU Council of Foreign Ministers, Kuleba stated that, quote, we need to open all doors instead of keeping some of them closed, end quote, emphasizing the importance of so-called solidarity corridors. Hungary announced its opposition to the EU's proposal for a long-term military support fund for the Ukrainian military, saying that it would object to the fund until Ukraine removes the controversial Hungarian bank OTP from its list of war sponsors. A quick reminder, this is the same Hungary that has argued Ukraine should just stop fighting. Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova said during a briefing that the proposed Rheinmetall plant for the production of armored vehicles in Ukraine would be considered a legitimate target for the Russian military. The CEO of the German arms company, Armin Paperger, responded in an interview with Bild, quote, Try me, bro. Okay, maybe not exactly, but he did say that Rheinmetall would not abandon its plans to set up a plant in Ukraine and that they would be protecting it from attacks with air defense systems of their own manufacture, because, actual quote, For us at Rheinmetall, the key task is to support our Ukrainian partners in the fight for freedom and democracy, and to meet their urgent needs as soon as possible. End quote. When Gaslighter-in-Chief Putin remarked that Joseph Stalin, quote, gave land to Poland, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki was aghast, saying, quote, Stalin was a war criminal responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Poles. The historical truth is beyond doubt. The Russian ambassador will be summoned to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. End quote. Putin may have a selective memory, but Poland sure doesn't. Let's talk about the news worldwide. In a fun plot twist, Russia's enablers are setting some boundaries. First, on July 17th, the South African State Prosecutor's Office received an official request from the South African Ministry of Justice to arrest Putin if he shows up in the country. Then on the 20th, Egypt's Minister of Supply, Ali El-Mushili, announced that the Egyptian government was not pleased with Russia's withdrawal from the grain deal, encouraged Moscow to reconsider, and asserted that Egypt would continue to import Ukrainian grain regardless. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken noted that restoring grain supplies from Ukraine will be, quote, very, very difficult. Due to Russia's threat to destroy civilian ships in the Black Sea, 
and that the U.S. and other partners and allies are looking for alternative export routes. According to the Ukrainian government, Russia's plan to inspect every vessel in the Black Sea for military cargo indicates that the Putin regime, quote, has once again brutally violated the universal right to free navigation for the whole world and is deliberately undermining food security, condemning millions of people to starvation, end quote. Following the Aspen Security Forum on July 21st, Blinken remarked that, quote, The fundamental problem is that President Putin believes, continues to believe, that he can outlast Ukraine and that he can outlast all of Ukraine's supporters. It's vitally important that we disabuse him of that notion. End quote. Okay, let's talk military tech. The German government published an updated list of weapons provided to Ukraine, showing that recent deliveries include 10 Leopard 1A5 tanks, 20 MG3 machine guns for Leopard 2 tanks, Marder and Dachs vehicles, 10 ground-based radar stations, 16 Zetros trucks, 4 border patrol vehicles, and 100,000 individual tactical first aid kits. F-16s are on the way, according to U.S. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby, and will arrive in Ukraine, quote, before the end of the year, end quote. He added that the U.S. doesn't believe that F-16s alone can change the situation on the battlefield, while Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has previously called the transfer of the fighter jets to Ukraine a, quote, nuclear threat, end quote, due to the aircraft's capacity for carrying nuclear weapons and Russian officials' predisposition for threatening nuclear war. Bulgarian parliament voted on July 21st to send roughly 100 surplus armored personnel carriers, or APCs, to Ukraine, along with armaments and spare parts. The air assault forces of the armed forces of Ukraine, those are paratroopers, are now armed with one of the best modern tanks in the world, the Challenger 2. The Challenger 2 uses 120mm ammunition in two types, armor-piercing and high-explosive fragmentation. The tank is distinguished by its maneuverability, a range of up to 10 kilometers, a night sight, and a laser rangefinder. Some assessment. The Challenger 2 is a tried-and-true design that balances firepower, maneuverability, and survivability. That is, how likely a crew is to survive an attack on the vehicle perfectly. Unfortunately, Ukraine has a very limited number of them. And while it is more accurate and has a longer range than other Western tank designs, it accomplishes this by having a rifled 120mm cannon that uses two-piece ammunition that is completely different to that used by either the Leopard 2 or the Abrams, further complicating Ukraine's procurement and supply. All of that said... The Challenger is a formidable piece of kit that no Russian will relish having to face. President Zelensky discussed long-range attackums missiles with U.S. President Joe Biden, according to U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. The U.S. is considering providing Ukraine with long-range missiles, but a decision hasn't been made just yet. The United Kingdom announced a new aid package recently, and of note is the inclusion of Malloy UAVs, large quadcopters that can be used to move equipment and weapons, and even evacuate wounded personnel. While continuing to push for F-16 fighter jets, 
Kyiv is also reportedly requesting Sweden's JAS-39 Gripen, which some experts say could be a better fit for Ukrainian pilots who are used to Soviet-era jets. For a brief rundown on Gripens, check out our substack. You'll find the link in the description. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll find those links in the description as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.